0: I trust that all of your resolutions are going very well. Mine was not to have any this year. So uh, I'm doing exceptionally well, uh, keeping my resolution by not having any. Anyway, it is great to be back with you. Sorry we uh, uh, weren't able to be with you last week. I hate getting interrupted, in the midst of a series, and, and by the way, I, I just, just a little word of explanation, just so you know, this little black chair up here, uh, I've been having some back problems, and in case something happens and I need to sit down, that's why it's there, uh, not because I intend to get lazy in the middle of the service. Um, but I do, I do sometimes have to tell people this because I have had heart issues in the past that if something happens like that and I start going down, it's probably my back, not my heart, so please don't panic, um, but do come help or do something. Anyway, uh, don't get too freaked out by it. Um, as I was saying, I hate getting interrupted in the midst of a sermon series, and I just want to, be, because I, I want to kind of keep the flow of the thoughts going, I just want to begin this morning by reminding you of just a few of the goals that I have for our series in the Gospel of the Hebrews. The first one is this. I am passionate about accurately proclaiming what the Holy Spirit gave the author of Hebrews to give to us. Now, every preacher wants to be creative. He wants to be funny. He wants to be insightful. But the truth of the matter is, I don't want to be any of those things until we see how God did those things in the writer of Hebrews. Because he is the one who has put together this masterpiece, this integrated revelation. And I call it an integrated revelation because it's integrated in the sense of it is amazing Hebrew methodology and thought and context. But at the very same time, using this amazing, what I call the beauty of Japheth, this amazing language of Greek. Secondly, I really feel a, a responsibility and a burden to rehabilitate our respect for the book of revelation or the book of hebrews because there have been some who have come along and tried to undermine its inspiration and its message and which is interesting especially as we look at what that message is we understand why th- that would happen to this book because what we're going to see today the clarity of this message is something that was for this hour for this moment for these days And so I want to try to rehabilitate that in case somebody has somehow caused you to undermine uh, your respect for it. The third thing is, I just want to correctly apply its powerful message for our lives, as I said, especially, especially in the hour in which we live right now. And to those ends, I'm committed to highlighting, as I said, the genius of this book, and by that I mean it's Hebrew methodology and instruction. I like to refer to the whole Hebrew context of the scripture as the beautiful tense of Shem. You know, Shem is the ancestor of Hebrew. The beautiful tense of Shem is this whole story that comes down through us contextually through this family. But then it comes to us also in what I like to refer to as the beauty of Japheth. The beauty of the Greek language that was prophesied through Noah to somehow, someday that the the beauty of the nations of Japheth would come and dwell in the tents of Shem. That somehow God would use the beauty of the nations to also be a significant part of telling this story. And the book of Hebrews does both of these things in droves. Last time we were together, I was highlighting what I call a conspicuous construction used by the author of the gospel to the Hebrews. This conspicuous construction is one of the things that makes the word of God delicious. Were you here last week? Did you see Pastor Ed online talking about the delicious word of God? I loved it, because these are the things that make God's word delicious. These are the things that make it uh, make me want to go back week after week, day after day, is to find new truths and new insights and, and to see the beauty and the majesty of how God has communicated these things to me in such a conspicuously beautiful way. So thank you, Pastor Ed, for uh, that uh, lovely adjective, uh, the delicious word of God. So this morning, by way of a very quick review, and I mean a quick review, we need to understand what the author of he- that the author of Hebrews has an agenda. He is not hiding that agenda. This is not something that he's trying to hide. It's something that he's trying to reveal. He is making a case and driving home a point that is so important that we dare not ignore it. And so he uses powerful methodology of stating and emphasizing the points we need to hear and to not forget. Now, you know, I don't know where you're at right now, what's going on in your heart and mind. But what I'm telling you is, if I can just get your attention for just a moment, what the writer of Hebrews has said is about you, for you, right now, today. In fact, by divine appointment, God may have providentially brought you here either in person or online because you actually need to hear what the author of Hebrews was given to say so that you could receive. This is an amazing moment because God's word, as he will later say in the book, is alive and it has the power of transformation. God has spoken Throughout the ages. This is how the writer of Hebrews begins with this powerful declaration that God has spoken throughout the ages in many ways, but to us in these last days, He has spoken in His Son. And the implication is a question Are we listening? He then uses a conspicuous construction to emphasize the truths we must not walk away from. And if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that construction simply by the use of the word for. And I wanted to emphasize that. I wanted to amplify it so that you understood the impact. As we're going to talk about this a little bit more today. That sometimes our English, in, in, when we translate things in English, our goal is always to make it so simple, Right? to simplify it and and to make it accessible, but sometimes we oversimplify. And when we oversimplify, we kind of take the power of the words that were actually used away from the words. And so if you'll remember, I kind of amplified what that word actually means by translating it, for the fact is. And I just want to remind you of some of those things that he said. In Hebrews 1 5, he says, For the fact is that God never spoke to angels, calling them his son. I mean, there's only one person that God has ever called the Son, and it's the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 For the fact is that what God did speak to and through the angels is unalterable. He isn't going to change his mind about Jesus, and neither should you. If, what, if the message he gave to the angels is unalterable, what he has declared and revealed in the Son is even more unalterable. It's not going to get any better than that. Hebrews 2.5, for the fact is that the world didn't, the world to come, Olam Haba, isn't for the angels, it's for you. Lest we forget everything that he has done, he has not created for the sake of the angels, he has created for you personally this is about you it's not about the angels the angels are given to be servants of those who are in, to inherit the olam haba the world to come hebrews chapter 2 8 for the fact is that all things all things are placed in subjection to the Son. even though some things may not yet be seen in that light that even though we may not it may not appear in this world that all things are in subjection to christ that day is coming and if you pay attention, you see it getting closer day by day by day. Amen? How do we know it's getting closer day by day by day? Because the world is trying to pull away from it more and more and more. <laughs> You're going to lose that tug of war. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, for the fact is that he endured all things for us so he could share all things with us. I love, the, <laughs> I love God's word. He endured all things for us so he could share with us all things that only he can share because all things belong to him. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11, for the fact is that we have unity with the son because God who sanctified and set apart the son for this glorious task also sets us apart to inherit all things with him and through him. Meaning, the fact is we have the same father. The writer of Hebrews is discussing that in the passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, just before the one we're going to pick up with today, about how we stand in the assembly, in the congregation of God with His Son, as His sons, as His children. Now, I don't know about you, and I probably waste way more time watching these. I, I don't need an amen from my wife right now. I'm watching these things online, but. Uh, I have to admit, I get a little bit of a kick out of some of these little reels and videos or whatever that people make responding to things that politicians have said or uh, false teachers have said. I mean, let me just be honest, I love the smackdown. Okay, I do. I love the smackdown, I love the mic drop, I like that bam moment, you know, when somebody makes the point, so powerful, so cool, there is just like, whoa. You are just, to me, that's Ben Shapiro. You know, Ben Shapiro, when he's, whether he's talking about Israel or, or politics or whatever, the guy just has a gift of, you know, just laying the smack down. That's why I love the book of Hebrews. I know you've never thought of it this way. But if there is a book that lays the smack down on the topic of who Jesus is and what he's done, it's the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. It is a powerful, delicious presentation of logical, factual reasons why you and I should keep listening to God and why we need to recognize that Yeshua is the one through whom the Father is speaking to us. And the question continues to be in this moment, in these last days, are we listening? And we have a moment to answer that question right now. Here, in these moments, will you pray with me? Lord God, speak to me. Abba Father, my prayer is simple and yet profound. We are your servants. We are gathered in your name to the glorification of your Son. Believing in the promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you will be. And so for those who are willing, Father, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, we open our hearts and minds to you today, and we ask you, through your word, speak to us today, and all the glory will go to him to whom it belongs, even Jesus our Lord, amen. So today I want to finish chapter two, and I know you're saying, well, wait, Pastor Ed went on to chapter three. He did. We're going to do a, you know, like in a movie, sometimes you go back and you do a preamble, a prequel. We're going to do a prequel, and uh, then we're going to kind of overview chapter three, and I just want to stress again why it is so important for us to understand how the writer of Hebrews does this, because literally he is writing to us a message that is so important, and I want you to hear this, that your life and your eternity may depend on it. In fact, there is no may. It does depend on it. So the reason we must finish chapter 2 is because after all, these, uh, after all of these for the fact is statements, we've now come to the writer's first major therefore Okay, we've had all these fours, now we have the first significant, therefore, and I'll invite them to put the text on the screen if you have it, Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. We're going to try to get those up for you, and there may be, you know, translations keep changing. I preach from the New American Standard, but a new one has come out, and normally when new ones come out, new translations, updated versions, that they force the, techn- the, the, the uh Software companies that that have these to adjust to the new translation. So, if I'm reading, you see, hear me say something a little different than the way it's there, it's probably because this is a newer uh, translation. Just want you to be aware of that. So, let's read verses 14 through 18. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, and through death. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For, for the fact is, assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become merciful and faithful become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For, for the fact is, since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now again, please remember what I want to show you is how the author makes his point. I want to show you his creativity, not mine. And verses 14 and 15, quite honestly, are game changers. I mean, I don't know that there's ever been a therefore that was more important than verses 14 and 15 of of Hebrews chapter 2. First, remember this. All things were created through, by, and for Jesus. He is the creating word of God who created all things. But please hear this, and please hear this. The heart of God was not to create a world from which he had to separate, but to create a world in which he could integrate himself with his children. The original plan of God was never to create a world from which he would have to separate himself. That is the exact opposite of the providential plan of God. It was never separation, it was integration. It was fellowship, it was communion. It was walking in the garden with his children in the cool of the day. So what happened to that? Sin forced a separation that was not a part of God's plan for creation. We were not created to be separated from God, but to be integrated in fellowship and in relationship. That is so essential. The power of the gospel is that it destroys that which attempted to destroy us and separate us from God. Did you hear that? The power of the gospel is that it destroys that which was attempting to destroy us. It tears down the separation that Satan was trying to use to separate us from God. I mean, that is the smackdown of the gospel. Word to the devil. You lost. The very thing that you tried to do, he used the very method you used to defeat you. Smackdown. That is the power of the gospel. That is what God is speaking to us in his son. That is what the father did for us through the son. It was a fallen angel. Remember, have you noticed how much uh, the writer of Hebrews keeps talking about angels? And he keeps reminding us that they were supposed to be the servants of those who inherit salvation. Well, how did we get in this mess in the first place? It was a fallen angel, not the son who created this mess. It is an exalted son, a lifted up son that's going to fix it. So let's break down what the author has to say to us in verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, and through death he, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and that might, he might free those who fear, through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Forgive me if I sound like an English basher today, because I really don't want to do that. But at the same time, like I said before, sometimes our our drive to simplify robs some of the impact of the words that are used. And when we do that, we disconnect from parallel word constructions that are used in, in verses. And sometimes the simplified words just don't let us see the depth of the point that's being made. So let's focus on some of these. The writer first makes this point. Notice that he calls us children. This is a very significant point because he is trying to get us to protect that integrated fellowship, communion relationship that we were supposed to have with our father, which is, well, what kind of relationship? Who has a relationship with the father? The children. He's framing this thing that is so important that we must not let go of. In verse... In chapter 2, verse 13, just before the verse we just read, the writer has just quoted Isaiah 8, verse 18, which refers to the Messiah standing in the assembly of the Lord with the children that God had given him. To stress the point, we all have the same father. Our created destiny is to be the children of God, not separated, but integrated as a family. Now he's going to make a point about those children and something that we also all share. We all share in flesh and blood. This is the essence of our creation. God created us flesh and blood. He breathed into us the breath of life and that breath is delivered to every cell of our body via the blood, it is our life. Now now church, please hear me. This is our humanity we are flesh and blood. That's what it means. This is our mortality. Mortality means that as a human of flesh and blood, this body will degrade because of sin and die. It is not currently immortal. It is now mortal. It will die. We all share that. We share the humanity, the the communion of being flesh and blood. We know what that means. We know the, the mortality that we all face. Death is not a concept, it is a reality. This is our reality. We all experience suffering and difficulty in this experience. Is there anybody that is expecting 2024 to not be a challenge to your humanity? I mean, your flesh and blood is just going to work exactly the way you want it to. For crying out loud, I'm six days in and I have to have a safety chair to preach my sermon. Stupid body. Is there anybody in this room that does not think that that you will face your mortality or someone whom you love's mortality? People that you love are going to pass this year. That is our shared reality. And the reality is that all of us are going to experience some form of tribulation and suffering. That is what we share in common. But note that the emphasis is that not only is that a reality we all share in namely in those things, it's what it means to be human, but that is because he also chose to share the same reality with us. We, we, we all share in these things. We are flesh. We are blood. And because of this, we share in death because of a fallen angel who spoke lies into us. But the writer of Hebrews uses a different word, though it parallels his prior thought. It says that Jesus partook of our humanity, our mortality, and our reality. The writer says, we all share, and the word that is share there is the Greek word koinia. You know what that word means. It means fellowship. Probably one of the more familiar Greek words in the church. It means fellowship. But it also means to partake. I mean, may I just do a little advertisement right now? After our morning service, we're going to have a meal together, and we're going to call it what? Table fellowship, koinia, because I don't know why, maybe it's biblical, that when we come together to fellowship, we partake, some of us more than others. It's part of fellowship. It's that table. It's, it's, it's the place where we enjoy one another's company and the presence of one another. Our table as flesh and blood means that we all share in humanity. We all share in mortality. We all partake of that. Matthew 16, 18, just after Jesus, after the transfiguration, Jesus uses this very terminology when he tells one of them standing there that they would not taste death until they saw the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I think he was referring to John, who was going to see it in the Revelation. But isn't that interesting that he uses that terminology of that somebody is going to not take or partake or taste death. It's all of this coming from the same concept. You see, God didn't send an angel to partake with us, he sent his son. So the writer of Hebrews says, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Our humanity, our mortality, our reality, Jesus came and sat down and ate it all with us. Again, the word of God is so powerful. The Greek word that we translate as partake or partook has a powerful word picture attached to it, as does our English word partake. Because when we share something together, we partake together. And even our English word has this idea of taking. And I love that because the Greek word for partake has the, picture, has the actual picture of something that is taken in hand. And I want you to hold on. It's like, oh, who cares if it means that? Hold on, it's very significant to why he, how he's making his point. When you partake, you do what? You take. And what do you take with? that which you hold. So the writer of Hebrews is building a case that Jesus came and partook. He tasted of our reality. He tasted of our mortality. He tasted of our humanity. And he took all of that on himself, which is so interesting. Because if you remember our series in Philippians, we were talking about the deity of Jesus. The one thing that Jesus didn't hold on to was his deity. He could have let go. He didn't have to let go. He chose to let go. Why? So he could take hold of you. He let go of his identity so he could guarantee your destiny. Smackdown. This is what's going on here. The fact is the father never said to the angels, come and sit at my right hand because the son is, the, son is the right hand of the father. Are, are you beginning to get the imagery? The father shared partook with us through his son. He took and partook with us through his mighty outstretched hand. And who is that? Jesus. Who sits where? at the right hand of God. That's where the one who took you is exalted. Not a fallen angel, an exalted son. Are are you getting the picture? It's really quite amazing. He took hold of our humanity and the word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. He took hold of our mortality and tasted death death with us, though death had no right to hold him. He took hold of our reality and experienced the suffering we experience because of a lie. Why did he take hold of our reality in this way? Because the devil hatched a diabolical plot to take away our destiny as the children of God and the rightful heirs of the world he created for us. It just keeps getting more delicious. Notice how the Hebrew writer faz- phrases it. He says that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now, you may not realize it, but there's a really cool wordplay going on in that verse. And you have to know a little bit about Greek prepositions. This chapter begins with a, a three-letter word that's a preposition. Dia which simply means through. You know a preposition, you know, you're beside something, you're on something, you're of something, through, I mean, this is a preposition. And prepositions are really important in the Greek language. And so when the writer of Hebrews begins to make this point in chapter 2, his first therefore, so to speak, is really through this, because of this. Because of what? Because of what this? that this, the this that is Jesus Christ and all that he has done to bring us to salvation, through whom and through the ministering work of the angels, through all of this, God is fixing all things for us. Now the writer states the primary through this that is stating the primary through this that changes everything. What is the through this that changes everything? What did he have to go through to change everything for us? Death. That's the through this plan of God. Through this, he might render powerless the devil who had the power of death. Through this. (laughs) Now, this is just great. Through death... God is going to destroy the diabolical plot of a fallen angel to take hold of us and enslave us to death. But God has his own divine plan to overcome it. Through death, death would die and lose its grip and hold on us. Smackdown. He took the very thing that Satan wanted to do to us and you to destroy us and used it to save us. That's God. And you ought to be impressed with that. (laughs) God says, I will take the very enemy you introduced to my people with a lie and will use it to defeat you through the death of my son so that my children might live. Take that, devil. Now, maybe you'll remember when we were doing a study on the parables and i took time to remind you about what how the greek what the greek word for devil actually is do we have any spanish speakers here today what is the spanish word for devil diabolos same as the greek do you hear it dia it's that same preposition what is the definition of the devil dia through Balo, which means I cast or I throw, the devil is the one who come and he casts through you, he pierces through you, he attempts to take from you, that's the diabolical plan of the diabolos. You see, his diabolical plan was to run something through you that would destroy you. And God said, I'm going to walk right through what you thought would destroy them, death itself, and instead, I'm going to destroy you. Boom! Hey, devil, you lose. Because he had a better plan to do something through him, through his son. Do do, do you understand why I get excited about all these words? Are you seeing the beauty? This is is like a masterpiece painting where you just begin to just respect the strokes and and the precision. All these little words... The devil is the one who pierces through with deception, which brings death. The son is the right hand of God who takes hold of death for us. And through his death, pierced through for us, not only defeats death, but destroys the power of the one holding us in slavery because of fear of it. And here's where our English just kind of fails us again. The power of the gospel is to render powerless the one who had the power of death. Everybody say had. Had. Well, that's an exciting word, isn't it? Had. Depends on what part of the country you're from. I hod. I had. Okay, it's a word we use. But the word oversimplifies the Greek word because the Greek word for had is the word for something that you have and you hold. And I ask you again, what do you use to have and to hold your hand? And you have it and you hold it when you take it. He had it. The writer of Hebrews is trying to get you to understand what was in the hand of the devil. Your life, your destiny, your future, the power of death. Understanding that all humans share the same experience. We have been taken. We are held in the power of the fear of death. You understand, we have been taken. We, are be, we were being held. We were in slavery. What is slavery? Being held against your will by the power of somebody else's hand. God said, okay, I'll send my right hand. Come on, devil. Let's give it a go. You're going to lose. The writer of Hebrews is explaining why Jesus had to come so that through death he might take hold of us and take away from the one who formerly held us and who had taken us into the slavery of death. Verse 15, that he might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. That he might... Give us life to take back from the hand of the enemy. And even more, not just to free us from the hand, but to render the one who had previously enslaved us as utterly impotent, powerless, worthless. My humanity, my mortality, my reality has been rescued through the death so that I may experience not separation from my heavenly father but fellowship and integration with him in the world that he created for me now, olam hazeh, and even more so in the world to come, olam haba. That's why he let go of heaven so he could take hold of me. That's why he didn't grasp deity because he wanted to save humanity beautiful we were not created for slavery we were created for life and freedom but someone had to make him take his nasty hand off of us So how did God rescue the descendants of Adam? He didn't send an angel. He sent his son, a descendant of the very one God had promised would inherit the world. The very same one who God told also promised your descendants are going to be slaves. Why? Because God is pro-slavery? Of course not. Because the physical reality of slavery in the world sets the stage for us to understand the spiritual truth of the one who will come and set us free. Verse 16, for the fact is, he assuredly does not give help to the angels, but he gives help to the descendant, not the descendants, the descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ. The very one God had told his descendants would be enslaved is the same one God promised that one of his descendants would save and rescue the world. And here comes more Greek. (laughs) This word that we translate that he would give some help to, (laughs) it literally means to lay hold of something. Oh, well, he's going to give me some help. Well, I mean, you know, normally when, when you need some help, we need a helping, come on. I mean, come on. Who does he help? Not the angels. They're supposed to be helping us. He helps the descendant of Abraham. He helps the one who's going to help us. And there's a reason he's setting this up. Remember, writer of Hebrews has an agenda This this Greek word lumbano, it doesn't mean just to lay hold of something. It means to aggressively take hold of something, which means God didn't just kind of send some help to the descendant of Abraham. He aggressively took hold of his destiny so he could take hold of ours. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to, to bring forgiveness He took on flesh and blood to minister on our behalf before the Father as a merciful and faithful high priest. What is the ministry of a high priest? To make atonement for the fallen flesh and blood of humanity. How does he do it? He takes the flesh and blood of offerings to the altar of God, but our high priest is going to do something even more amazing. He's not only going to be the high priest, he's also going to be the sacrifice of flesh and blood for us. He took our... Humanity, mortality, and reality, so he could offer himself on our behalf and set us free, taking the hand of the enslaver off of us. And I don't know about you, but I don't like it when someone has their hand on me that doesn't have my permission. Get your nasty hands off me, devil. For the fact is, verse 18, since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid or to help those who are tempted. He is able. <laughs> oh, I love the English, but well, he's able. He can do it. I, I think we yeah. Do you know what the Greek word here is? dunamis dynamite power come on give me a give me a flex power he is able he is not able he is more than able he is literally overqualified to help me he's not able He is the power of God because he is the right hand who stepped down out of heaven to take control of my destiny by taking control of me. Wow. Now, after all of that, now we understand what Pastor Ed was leading us to in chapter three. And I want to just read, we're not going to go through it, but I do want to read some sections of chapter 3 so that you understand the flow of the Hebrew writer's thought. Hebrews chapter 3 being verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus the apostle and priest, high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was also in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just as much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. For Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. Spoken how? In Jesus That's what the writer of Hebrews starts this book. In these last days, he's done what? He has spoken to us through his son. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Messiah was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, listen to this, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of him of our hope firm until the end. Notice just a quick few things that now should, should resonate based on what you've heard him say. We are now partakers of a heavenly calling. Heaven partook of humanity, mortality, and reality so that we could partake of eternity and freedom in Christ. He took hold of us for these things, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, are you going to let go? Do you understand the point? He took hold. Will you? In these last days, when everybody is trying to get you to stop believing in the Son of God, will you hold on? When the realities of humanity and mortality and suffering start to overwhelm you, will you let go or will you hold on? Well, it's so hard. Well, it wasn't a a cakewalk for Jesus either. He let go so he could take hold. Church, listen to me. There are people who are literally using the Hebrew Bible to try to talk you into letting go. Don't be surprised. We were told this would happen in these last days. Now you understand the context of why suddenly the writer of Hebrews turns his attention to Moses and the Exodus story. Because those are pointing to a story of a greater exodus from sin and bondage that will come not through Moses but through the Messiah. Moses was a story about God sending an anointed man to rescue his children from the grip of slavery and hard bondage and death. But the one whom the father would send would accomplish an eternal freedom, ending our mortality and replacing it with immortality and eternal in Holam Haba, the world to come. He's already introduced all these concepts of how we have been taken hold, how we have been held captive, how we have been in bondage. The natural progression of his thought is to remind us of what happened to Israel physically in Egypt so we would understand what the Messiah is going to do for us spiritually. He's going to take us and set us free. But more importantly, he's going to take the grubby hands of the devil off of us. This is called freedom. And we're supposed to be walking in it. Notice that we are told to hold fast into the end. The writer of Hebrews emphatically challenging us to take hold. And let me tell you what's even more exciting. God had this incredible through plan that through death Jesus would rescue us. But listen to what the apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifest through us everybody say through us. Yeah. <laughs> through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. He has another through plan. It's you. It's all the things that he wants to give and do through you. This is why later in the spring we're going to come back and we're going to start talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the things that he has given us to function and minister so that through us we can destroy the works of the devil. Hey, Satan, you lose because God has a better plan than your diabolical plan he has through my children I and mean, that's exciting I mean that's, that's, that's the sort. I can't hardly wait to get to that series the writer of Hebrews goes on therefore just as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as when you provoked me as in the day of the trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years therefore I was angry with this generation and said they will always go astray in their hearts and they did not know my ways as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest the Moses and Exodus story has two sides to it deliverance and defeat and the ones who were defeated were the ones who stopped listening The ones who perished were the ones that stopped listening and stopped clinging to what they had heard and what they had seen in the mighty outstretched hand of God as he delivered Israel. How could you forget Moses' mighty outstretched arm? Stand still and see the Yeshua, the salvation of God. You're going to let go of that? You're going to walk away from that? Someone's going to trick you and, and, and <laughs> forgive me for sidebarring, but really, you're waiting on a better messianic plan than what God has in Jesus. God became a man, left the glories of heaven, let, let go of, of that reality to take hold of your humanity. Oh you're, you're waiting for a better story. You'll be waiting for an eternity. Because his word is unalterable. If this is what he declared he was going to do to the angels, this is what he's going to do through the son. It's not going to change. Amen? And if you let go, there's nothing left. The Sabbath is the perfect contrast to all of this because the sabbath is the day when our work and our toil and our labor is set aside when our hands can be free from labor to rest we are invited to come and rest in the lord again he took hold of us to rescue us from forced labor of the fear and death yet in the last days there are those who will let go of the one who took hold of them and abandon their calling and invitation into god's rest why would you do that You've been invited to partake of a heavenly calling, to sit at the table of fellowship with the right hand of God, and you just want to walk away. And so the writer concludes with these words in chapter three. Take care, brethren, that there not be anyone among you with an evil and unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of your heart. And listen to verse 14. For we have become partakers of Messiah, partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. That's a big if. And I think sometimes the reason we are willing to even consider it is because we don't really fully appreciate or understand what he did to take hold of us. Because if we did, we would not let go quite so easily, would we? You understand why I'm, I'm stressing all these words? Because I want you to see the beauty of how the writer of Hebrews just laces all this together. So, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, have you heard his voice today? Has he encouraged your heart and told you to keep clinging? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For you, for who provoked me when they had heard? Indeed, not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. My friends, I conclude with this, and I invite the worship team to come back. He took hold of our humanity, our mortality, and our reality so that we could partake of his holiness, his life, eternity, fellowship with him. (sighs) He took hold of us to bring us out of separation and bring us back into integration, fellowship, and communion with him why would you let go of that? I told you I wanted to also apply these truths relevantly to our lives. So let's just get real for just a moment. Some of you have been tempted to let go. Some, because of your flesh and blood, life is just hard. And you're wondering where your creator is and it just gets frustrating. Sometimes you just wanna give up and walk away. Some of you have been deceived. Some clever rabbi or teacher has (laughs) used the original method of deception by sowing doubt. I saw a video this week of a a rabbi who, who accused the Apostle Paul of making up scriptures, yet in the context of making the accusation that Paul had made up scriptures, he made up his own. And people buy it. They don't even realize it's the original lie. Did God really say? Well, he didn't really say that. In these last days, he has said everything in his son. And if you reject his son, you are rejecting the father, period. The very one who is at the right, he's not a fallen angel. He's the exalted son sitting at the right hand of God. And he has a firm hold on you. Even in the storm, even in the travail, even in the heartache, even in the financial challenge, even in the loss, Even in the disappointment, he who left heaven to take hold of you will not lose you from his grip if you will remain steadfast and hold on to him. Don't let go. You're a partaker of heaven because he partook of your humanity. He destroyed death and the one who held and called us to hold on to his hand for life. Through the power of death, through death, he destroyed the power of death and the one who had previously held death in his hand. He destroyed it. It's not your enemy. There's nothing to fear. Even when we die, yet shall we live. Being afraid of death is like being on a road, screaming and running away from a toothless, clawless sloth. Oh no, it's going to catch me. No, it's not. It's defeated. He is worthy of it all. This is the power of the gospel. To defeat death and set you free. Because the one who created all things and by all things are held together did all of these things so that you could stand with him in the midst of the congregation of God as fellow heirs and children of God. He's worthy of it all. As we enter a time of response, this isn't just a time to sing. It's a time to communicate with the Father. It's time to be honest. Some of you may just need to spend this time, you you can sit, you can sing, but you know, sometimes we need a moment. And so I'm gonna invite you that if you just need a moment with the Lord, just to come and kneel on these steps. Sometimes we just have to get out of our zone and just come and say, I wanna kneel before you and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I've, I've, I've I've been letting go. Today, I'm strengthening my grip. Some of you have some just some pleas, some cries. You need to say, God, (laughs) I feel like you're letting go of me, and I know that's not true. Please forgive me. I just need to feel your hand, and you just need to come, and you just need to kneel. And You don't have to do that here, but if you want to, I'm just inviting you to just say, Lord, take me. Hold me. Wrap your arms around me. Whatever response... Some of you need to make a commitment today that when you leave this place, you're done with the diabolical plot of the devil and you're going to start living out the providential manifest plan of God of what he wants to do through you in the life of somebody else and get courageous in the power that he has placed within you. Whatever response is needed, just worship whatever. I invite you to stand and respond to the Holy Spirit.